UX Podcast Episode 87. This is UX Podcast. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbom. And we're balancing business, technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. And today, we're live. Well, we were live. As we like to say, semi-live. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're never really live. Well, we were live. Yeah, we're live when we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're always we're live. live. <laughs> we're always live when we're, we're doing it. We're not dead yet. But you're listening to recording. You are. <laughs> so it's no longer live. But anyway, today yeah. is a listener phone-in. And which we did earlier in the year, we got some really good feedback on mm. um, on that format. So we're gonna we're opening the phone lines again today mm. to encourage people to um, come and talk to us and share their mm. UX stories or pains or problems mm. or just ask us a question, a little challenging mm. question to make us think and respond to you. Mm. And the way it works is that people just click a link and uh, we see them on video on screen and we start talking. It's it's great fun. And if you want to be one of the first to know about these uh, shows when we do them, the phone-ins, uh, then you can actually go to our website, sign up for emails. At the top of our website, uxpodcast.com, there's a banner there that says UX Podcast Backstage Pass. Just put your email in that box and we'll be you'll be one of the first to know if we're doing one of these phone-in shows again in the future. And we will be doing them, definitely. Because that's so much fun yeah. for everyone. Mm. If you don't think they're fun, let us know. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> we do care. <laughs> and today's show is sponsored by usertesting.com. Peak by user testing is the easiest way to see and hear videos of real people using your website or app. Visit usertesting.com slash UX podcast for a free peak usability test and find out how you can give your users an experience they'll love. Let's unlock the room and open the phone lines. Oh, hello. Are we, are we oh. live already? Hello there. Oh, we're live. Wedge. Yeah, you're live straight away. I reckon there's a voice. It's Wedge. It's Wedge. It is. Hello, Wedge. James. Hello, Pear. Hello. Hi, Wedge. Oh, I was only going to um, to see what was going on, really. I haven't got a fully formed question yet. Well, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> We're not fussy. Nice chatting to you. <laughs> well, it's not fully formed, but I was I was wondering, and I'm thinking that UX UX or UX research is undervalued in intranet design. Or in intranet um, design, yeah. Um, I'll I'll just go straight with um, yes. You, I agree. But how do we convince stakeholders that it's useful and has tangible results that it matters? By showing results, that's, that's usually my standard answer when people ask stuff like that. You need to actually go out there and show results. So the, the quick wins is what you're looking for. You're looking for uh, anything. Well, when I started out in this business way back in the 90s, <laughs> uh, the lunch menu, of course, was the most sought after thing on the internet. It still is, I think. And it probably still is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think you should actually uh, embrace that and make sure that the lunch menu is an intricate part of where you're putting your whatever stuff you need to get out and not try and hide it like people were trying to do back then and probably still are 
they're trying to hide lunch mainly because they don't see it as the most important information on the internet. This is what you're saying there, basically, mm. is that you've got to acknowledge um, your users' genuine yeah. needs and what gives them value, exactly. even if it isn't always completely 100% mm. in, in line with the, the, the business right. um, aims of it. Mm. I think, Wedge, one, one thing I, I would say is um, I reckon one of the keys is to avoid talking about UX, actually, because... Um, UX is still one of those phrases where outside of certain circles, it's still, it, they don't know at all what you mean by it. Um, so, so if you can do the UX work without actually putting a big giant label on it saying UX, then I think you've got a bigger chance of success. So what do you say instead? Is it, is it about user research? No, well, no it's, isn't, it's, isn't it just about creating value for for the people who are working within dis- the company? Discovering, discovering, um, discovering effects. What what goals? What what is it you're trying to achieve? Kind of eking out those um, those genuine responses about you know where where are we trying to get to? Right. Um, you know, from from several different angles, both um, from the side of the business, from the side of the users, which yes would be user research, and and then trying to kind of you know, level the playing field there and make everyone see the the same thing. Because it is business development, really, isn't it? It's just one way of increasing the value of whatever business you're in, even if you're in a content. But let's say you're actually selling services and products. The internet is there for actually helping people learn how to sell better or how to share information better, retain knowledge within the company better, because that is what creates a valuable company. Uh, so it's not about UX, it's about the value that UX really eventually evolves into. Mm. So if I can start with like the purpose, and then all we have to do is talk about how can we do X better? Yeah, you've got to work out what X is, and then... Um... And then we can start thinking. Well, you start. About... You start with the company, uh, and what the why is why is what is the purpose of the existence of the company? Uh, what do you do, and how can you become better at doing what you're doing? And what pain points, what problems do you currently have? Mm. What is hindering your business? And, and unearthing these kind of these kind of things, you know, is is all part of the research, mm. um, business research, user research, UX, whatever mm. you want to call it. And without understanding the kind of underlying problems that exist you're not going to be able to move on to the next step, which is, okay, mm. what's the solution for this problem? Mm. Exactly. We just had a knock. You can actually knock and get into the call, but we have to reject people, so we only have one person at a time. So we're not actually rejecting you. We're hoping that you actually <laughs> try and push that button again and try to talk to us again. Technology is always fun. You should turf me out, and I shall just listen in for the next hour. <laughs> Excellent. I think, that, you know, I think that's a good idea. Let's boot him out. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Wedge. Alright, see you around. Bye see now. Bye. Ciao. Hello there. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you guys doing? We're doing very good. well, how thank you? you. Good, thanks. I'm Heather Burns, mm-hmm. and I spoke with you guys a few weeks ago about right. the consumer rights law. Yep. And right now, I'm sitting procrastinating on the next task I have to do, and that's my business. Ah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. It's so fun to see you on here. I know. You have faces. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We, did, we only had audio when we chatted yeah. um, I know. earlier. I know. So that's, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So what are you going to share with us today? Well, I'm just going to talk a little bit about how um, we, we had that wonderful talk about the consumer rights law and um, how it was supposed to make everything easier for people to sell across Europe. Right. 
And I don't know if you've become aware of the new VAT changes coming into effect on the 1st of January, which basically are undoing the whole law. Oh, oh tell us more. All right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, up until uh, the 1st of January, if you sell a digital item online, like an ebook or whatever, the place of supply, which is a tax term, is ruled to be where you sold it from. So, for example, I in Scotland sold you in Sweden my book. So the place of supply is ruled to be the United Kingdom. Yeah. From January 1st, the European VAT law changes so that the place of supply becomes Sweden. Mm-hmm. Oh. What that means is if, yeah, what that means is if you buy my book, I have to charge you Swedish VAT. So it's 25%. And then I have to... And then I have to forward that to the Swedish tax authority. No, really. Oh, but that just that which just means, makes a complete which, crazy mess of of, of EU which, business. Which means one thing, which means that, and now this is this applies to all digital products across Europe: eBooks, themes, plugins, software, digital downloads, um, craft oh. patterns, PDFs anything so so physical products it's the same so physical products is the old rules physical products are the same right and god there is no minimum threshold so that i don't know how it works every country in europe is different but for example in the uk there's a there's a vat registration threshold so that the first i think it's eighty thousand pounds of your income are exempt From January 1st, even if your income is under that, if you sell one pound of a digital product, you're in VAT. Oh, my God. Is this, is this, so, okay, is this, um, is this one of the situations where the left hand of the EU has not been talking to the right hand of the EU? Because I can't Absolutely. imagine. Now there's, yeah. there's, two, there's two ways that we're being forced to handle this. Number one is you have to register with the tax authority in every country where one of your digital products sold and file VAT returns every quarter. So if, if you were the only person in Sweden who bought my book, I would mm-hmm. see your registration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so basically, you're going you're gonna to limit oh. your market. You're going to refuse business mm-hmm. from... Um, any country other than your own country. That's what I'm thinking. I'm not going to even try. So what's happening here in the UK is you have a lot of sole traders and self-employed people having to make some really tough decisions because, you know, with the best will in the world, how can you handle registering with the tax authorities in 15 different countries? Because one person in that country bought a knitting pattern off of you. Hmm. Yeah, it's really, I think people are going to, try and find ways around this we'll find companies who will be like the middleman uh, who will probably invoice with is what i'm guessing yeah and there, there are some software solutions coming online to help with the process of you know collecting the payments and divvying them out but that still leaves you to do all the work the record keeping yeah. i mean here in the uk you have to keep the vat records for 10 years and this is over a one pound ebook. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, this this alters your business model yeah. an awful lot. Wow. 
Well, thanks so much for calling in and telling us about yeah. this. We'll, look, we'll definitely be I'm ruining your, your day. I'm expecting yeah. you to uh, write a blog post about this, so we'll definitely link that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing a podcast on Tuesday, so I'm going to spend my weekend reading all these EU legal documents because I'm a sad person that has no life. <laughs> so I'll send I'll, and I'll send you the link to that on um, after it's done. Oh. Sit, sit back, a glass yeah. of wine, and a big pile of EU documentation. But well, we're so happy you're taking the lead on this, Heather, because yeah, we, we no, sure it's, don't. It's, it's, it's good that someone's doing it. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think so I'm going to go to Ikea and get some of that Christmas wine in first. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Go for it. Thanks very much for yeah. calling in. Okay. Okay. No problem. Hope you guys yeah. are doing well. Nice yeah. seeing you. Nice seeing you. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, you see, now I recognize him as well. <laughs> hey, guys. Can you hear me? We can hear we you can fine. Hear. All right, great. So for the benefit of our listeners, um, who are you and where are you? I am Tim Wright. I'm the co-host of The Dirt. Uh, I work at uh, Fresh Tilled Soil, UX agency out of Boston. So, guys. And you want- get crushing our live show again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wanted to call in because we're, uh, we have an apprentice program. At first, so we've been going through this thought exercise of design, um, deciding what actually a UX designer is, getting a, an actual clear definition and list. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on the matter. Oof. Oh, the easy oh, question. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> what, is a, what is an UX designer? We were talking somewhat about this during lunch because we, mm. we're sort of organizing a conference as well. And so what people do we want to get to this conference where we want to get UX people. What is a UX person? And, but you're, you're, you're limiting it sort of to UX designer. Is that, uh, you're, cause you're thinking it has to do with design, uh, on screen or interaction design somewhat, or are you thinking of design as problem solving? Um, more just like the holistic experience, even if it does encompass development. Yeah. One of the things that I, I believe is that, you know, designing an experience like the gateway to designing mm. experience is making something perform really quickly, mm. which is, you know, front end development or even, you know, database design. Um, so we, you know, uh, from our standpoint, from my standpoint, it, it does encompass development as well. It's just designing this whole experience, not just mm. you know, skinny jeans and thick black glasses. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I think about, what the users think and the users of the term UX are the clients of our oh, services if you, if you look in, in a sense. If you're lucky. If we're lucky, yeah. Mm. And I hear a lot of clients using the term UX extremely loosely these days. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the, the UX people accompany me to that meeting and the UX people, we draw up this and the UX people, they do that. Mm. And I think it's in essence, people all over the world <laughs> are realizing now that there is something here that we haven't talked about enough before. There's something here that is has to do with design, but it has to do with feelings and mm-hmm. how we actually experience stuff because the handiwork of creating a website is not enough anymore because a lot of people can do that, but there's something else that we need to approach as well. And it's so hard to define, but UX helps us sort of yeah, I mean, I... get to grips. But, but actually, if you're looking, if you're walking up to a company and asking for a UX designer, most clients don't know what they're looking for. I so... think we had, I think a few years ago, 
And we, we've, we've whinged and complained about the yeah. term UX a fair few times on the show. But I think a fair few years ago, we probably had a, a, a better setup when it came to the, the titles and terminology we use in our, our industry before UX became really mainstream. Mm. Then it was, we had better labels. But I think UX was a necessary journey for us to go through to kind of you know, get us back on track and, and, and to join some of these silos together so we, we, we'd produce some more coherent and successful work. Mm-hmm. The downside is, like Per says, we've now, we've now created a situation where the term UXer can, can be one of like 15, at least 15 different random specialised roles. Mm-hmm. And your client has one of them in mind and you maybe have another one in mind and what is actually needed maybe isn't a third one. Hmm. Um, or you need all of them. You can't, you can't excuse one of them. So uh, we're, we're, we're going through a tough period, I reckon, when it comes to, to the term UX. But thinking about it like that, I think the role of the UX person most often nowadays is to actually bring in all those talents and decide which of those talents is most relevant in this particular use case. Hmm. And maybe that UX person has that talent, but maybe not. Hmm. But that person should be able to identify that and bring in the person who actually has to competence it, it could be even be a front-end developer stuff i mean i've mentioned before about the whole mr wolf idea and role you know the the, the, the um um reservoir dogs mr wolf guy um, yeah. comes up and he, he knows a man who knows a man he, he can fix these things but he's got to have knowledge about how everything works to be able to get mm-hmm. the right guy to fix the right problem mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we need that's where we're heading mm-hmm. um at least at the level we're talking about um which then we're now encroaching then onto the kind of sales roles in yeah. some agencies and organizations mm. and um that's really not what we want ux guys to be we don't want them to be ux sales no but more of but, a mentor role yeah, i think but it has to be a, a, a yeah a mentor role or a um a mr wolf role that can mm. see and bring in and have the ability to bring in the right right resources at the mm. right time to get the right thing it's not a project manager but it's 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 kind of along those lines yeah have we actually at all answered your question tim Oh, of course you have. <laughs> it feels like we, as usual, we've gone round a little bit yeah. um, and it, give up it, opinions. It almost, but. it almost seems like a like a UX person has to be a CTO of some kind, and you're, like you're right in that Mr. Wolf role of, of knowing every, knowing a little bit of everything, mm. uh, at least to to bridge the communication gaps mm. between a, a lot of the, the disciplines. Oh, that's I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and now we're even or even bridge the maturity gaps mm. because you, you know we. We know that now. This is a scale of maturity, and mm. you know the, the the organizations that are talking about, oh, that are arguing about the UX roles and mm. what this UX to do with another one. They're mm. on a certain level of maturity. Mm. Um, some of ones are not anywhere near that. So we we've got we've got we've got two axes here. We've mm-hmm. got the one where we're bridging mm. communication gaps, and I think that we've got one where we're bridging um, mm. maturity gaps. But even among mature UX designers, I think there's uh, a gap between those that actually embrace the technology side and those who don't. And my most common example is load times. I, I fail to meet very many UX designers who really care about load times, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I really, really, really focus on that when it comes to uh, talking to my developers and, and how we make choices yeah. on what JavaScript libraries to use and mm-hmm. what colors to use. And do we use that shadow and that extra shadow? Do we really need that because it increases load times on mobile? Yeah. So, I, th- I think you've got a point about the load mm-hmm. time. I think you can say a similar thing about um, SEO as well. Yes, or rather, mm. you know the, that a lot of a lot of UXs are still working very much in the the world of their app or website, mm. and are not considering some of the wider UX implications. Mm. Like mm-hmm. for me, mm. part of the UX is how the app is going to appear in in maybe iTunes if it's an app. Yeah, um, you know, but the UX is not going to work so much on some of those details. And you know, how do we do the lo- mm. larger ecosystem? 
And I was in a meeting earlier today where people were saying, yeah, well, we did some accessibility, but we didn't do it all because we're not trying to like reach everyone. And, yeah. and I hate that <laughs> sentiment yeah. because you don't know who you're trying to reach and you shouldn't exclude people based on anything, really, mm -hmm. if you have the choice to actually make it available to everyone. Yep, we've, uh, we've actually been uh, uh, partnering up with this uh, place down the, down the road, Perkins School for the Blind, for doing accessibility oh, nice. testing on some of our projects. It's been really, really eye-opening. You know, we have our best practices that we follow, but until you, know, you see somebody struggle with, with something, uh, it, just, it just goes so far. Yeah. And like little pieces that you can put in ARIA roles or whatever to improve the experience for you know, a visually impaired user. Mm. A really long way. Right. Mm. And I think that's exactly when the magic happens is when I get my clients to see other people struggling with their website, mm -hmm. uh, whoever they are. Is yep. when they're, they're, because most of my clients actually don't visit their own website, which is interesting <laughs> in itself. <laughs> I'm on my own website like every day. <laughs> I yeah, have it up here. at all. I have it up right now. <laughs> I, I have ours up as well, yeah. but I'm updating it. Yeah. So I suppose that's kind of going to be the case. We need it? those clicks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, thank you very much for ringing in again, Tim. Yeah. It's, it's thank uh, you good for to see you. you. I like this stuff. This is great. Yeah, no, it's so much fun. Oh, it's really good fun. We talked about it last time that it yeah. was really good fun, and it's proving to be really good fun this time too. All right, guys. It, it helps um, when you publicize it too, I can tell you. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Ciao. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, it's almost like a loop. Hello. Well, hello there. I'm uh, James Mo McConnell. Uh, right now, I'm in a shopping center listening to awful Christmas music <laughs> uh, in North Shopping. In North Shopping, oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. My um, home city, even though I work in Stockholm. Oh, right. Yeah, because you, yeah. Yeah, you live and work here in Stockholm at Screen Interaction. That's correct. Um, yeah, so I actually tried to get to Stockholm today, but the train said no. Um, oh, really? So oh. I, <laughs> I went back from knee shopping. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's a typical situation in Sweden, isn't it? That you, you're getting mad at SE. Yeah. Yeah, SJ is the train company, yeah, intercity train company here yeah, in um, state Sweden. Company, yeah. yeah, but it's funny. I mean, thinking about service design, uh, the best thing that SE, the train company, has going for them is their staff. Hmm. It feels like their staff have excellent empathy for the people that are traveling on the trains, hmm. but all the other many other touch points don't really fall in line with that. Um, style or that empathy, mm. which is a shame. Mm. Um, they should be listening to their staff more, I think, and talking to them. Right. Mm. But isn't it that it's the same problem with SE that it's silos? There are many different companies actually responsible for different parts of, of the system, like some for the trains, some for the tracks, some for other stuff. Exactly. So they're not very good at talking to each other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think. Uh, yeah, it's the the company that are in, char in charge of the transport system, the the actual rail tracks and the movement of trains. Mm. So they, yeah, obviously they, they don't really communicate, like you say, very well or work together well. Um, and often SE, the train company, gets the blame for when things go wrong. 
and it's not their fault. Perhaps. Right. Now, I mean, that's actually a really good, I mean, topic and issue we deal with an awful lot, I guess, is that um, from a from a user perspective, it it's often simplified. You know, I'm I'm traveling on a train. The train the train is going to work. If it doesn't work, I'm going to vent my anger there, or yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to look there for trains. Um, so how we group information and and, and services or or, or you know, just things generally um, isn't necessarily how it's formally structured. Yeah, and it's too complicated mm. for me as a customer to sort between these different seven companies and really oh, which is which one of these seven companies is the one i should complain to i have no mm. idea i mean i complain to yeah, the one with the biggest exactly. brand so james how do we fix it how <laughs> <laughs> do we fix it well i mean that's the thing is the is the staff on the train that are usually that first point of contact for people's angers which is probably why they're so skilled at being empathic and and understanding what the problem is and mm. and calming people down mm. um so i would say that a lot of things maybe you know 70 percent of that anger is is taken away at that point mm. um the other 30 percent yeah they probably phone up the train company and have an angry call but mm. yeah sorry i don't have a fix really i think um <laughs> one one thing <clears throat> Sorry. One thing there is I remember from some of the early days of Twitter and um, like 2009 kind of time um, when when people were starting to here in Sweden anyway, they were they were traveling with SGS trains um, and they would use um, the number of the train as the hashtag when they're traveling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I actually don't know if people do that anymore, mm -hmm. but at least it was something that was quite common five years ago oh yeah right. and, and yeah. when there was problems you would sometimes you know geeks or early users of twitter would find themselves on twitter through mm. the hashtags like fi mm. train 509 mm. and be talking to each other about complaining about the the service and um i have a vague memory of that there was um there was also some there was a conductor there was a sga person you know person who worked on one of the trains who also was following their trains hashtag so nice. so this this person uh, was, okay. was 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 <laughs> capable of of noticing when one of their um, travelers, one of the, mm. one of the customers on the train, had an issue because yeah. they were tweeting about it. Mm. So then you could, you know, you empower these ambassadors, the staff that are working on the train. Yeah. You empower them by yeah. showing them how they can use social media to to mm. monitor their actual train yeah. while it's in, in motion. Wow, he w he wasn't saying over the tannoy customer with a Twitter username. <laughs> I am stupid. Please come and see me. <laughs> okay, yeah. so now we digressed into your issues with yeah. SE, but we don't even know that is why you called. <laughs> no, it's not. No. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got many things uh, on my mind. I guess um, if I can talk about uh, user experience designer, or if we want to call ourselves that, mm -hmm. um, that one of my problems or one of my issues is deciding what to read or what to listen to or what to watch. Mm. There is so much <laughs> out there. And as you know, our profession is so extremely wide. Mm. How do we filter what is, is worth reading, listening to or watching? We already know UX podcast is worth listening to. That's a done deal, right? God, that was the answer. You know, blown us now. <laughs> well, we didn't have uh, to say it. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it did it for you. Um, but what about everything else? So, I mean, 
obviously you guys, you know, have some methods of deciding what you're going to talk about in the show. Mm. Um, so I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts about it. Oh, it's a tough oh, one. That is a tough one. Um, I mean, I, I, to, to spin this around straight away, um, I think one of the key things here is, is maybe not to, to stress and worry about missing out. Yeah. Because, I mean, sometimes I've felt that. Because, I mean, we all, we all go through busy periods and, and quieter periods. And, mm. and generally, you can notice when, when someone's going through one of their really busy periods because their amount of activity on, on Twitter especially, um, you know, falls through the floor. Yeah. Um, and during those periods, you know, I don't have chance to read as many articles. I don't have chance to share as many articles. And, you know, sometimes you end up sharing things that you haven't really read properly because, you know, you just want to show you're alive still. Um, but, and it can feel a bit stressful at times that like you've gone maybe three months during a busy project. Yeah. And, and, you know, the world's changed because our industry changes, like you said, James, so quickly that after mm. three months of being busy, you feel like you're out of date. And that's yep. a bit stressful. But at the same time, I don't think we should let it be too stressful because it all does move so fast and we're all in the same boat. Yeah, I think so as well, especially with UX. The more you learn about UX, you realize that it's really more about a state of mind, a way of approaching problems, a way of mm. approaching design that is always there, that it always will stick with you. So you can use that knowledge uh, whatever the technology is situation is because be, I'm, more when I was working with designing websites and working with the developments within responsive design uh, developments within JavaScript and when we went from the web 1.0 to 2.0 where there was a lot more interaction there was more more to cover I mean there are so many websites now that still are not responsive and people are feeling that they're late into the game but as a UXer I think you can still approach that whether or not you have a responsive design or not, you can approach it from the perspective that we have to realize what is the problem, what problems do we need to, to solve, how do we commun communicate within the project, how do we make people understand each other, how do we get the client to understand the customer. Mm -hmm. and, and those are like sort of timeless competencies that we shouldn't worry too much about missing out on the other aspects of the technology advances that are happening around us. I can go back to like the 20s and, and look at how how the the Gilbreth couple, the Dirty Dozen, there, there's a book about the Dirty Dozen, no, not the Dirty Dozen, sorry. The, they have a dozen kids. There's a, some, some book about dozen. <laughs> they're not dirty, they're clean kids. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll link that up. Where yeah. they did like surveying how bricklayers laid bricks and they were looking at, well, they're, oh, bend, they're yeah, bending down to pick up the yeah. bricks. Why don't we have the, the scaffolding for them to put mm, the bricks yeah. on and, and use that? I mean, this, the work we're doing has been done for ages and, and, we, I like to read, I mean, look into history. Don't always look into what's happening right now. Look into history. Look at, learn from other yeah. stuff as well. I think I was going to. So you're giving it. me even more to read now. No, I was going to follow on from that there and say that, you know, to be honest, I think, um, I, I think we actually learn. Well, I learn a whole lot from doing the podcast because we get mm. to talk to some, some really interesting, clever people. Yeah. But, but aside from that, I mean, you learn a huge amount every day when you're doing your job. Yeah, of course. And I think that's you know, that's that's why I think we should stress so much about making sure we don't miss out on, on reading X number of articles or that blogger or that mm. that podcast. In that, just by being the practitioner, practitioners that we are within our various fields and projects, mm. um, there's yeah. where we iterate <laughs> and where we learn, and experiment, and mm. um, and, and that's crucial. As well as these little conversations, 
Mm. Just like this one. I mean, they, these yeah. are the kind of things I think as well are, are gold mines of, of exchanging um, real experiences um, and, and real things that have happened and what you've done and, and what you didn't work and what did work. Yeah. Um, so it's more important to go to meetups and attend meetups than actually mm. read articles maybe sometimes as well. Uh, just just lunch. Just pick someone on Twitter yeah. and lunch with them. And have, but having said that, you know, I mean, you still want some concrete tips because you're sitting there sometimes and you're looking for something. Where do where do I turn to get yeah. like the latest stuff? But I think Twitter is one of them. And don't follow a thousand people. Follow make a list with like ten people that you know mm-hmm. are sure. good at following other stuff and f- see what they're linking to. Uh, I think and also I use an app called Zite. I was going to say, Zite um, has been an excellent source yeah. of, of content and information. The trouble there is, of course, it's, um, it's, it's been bought up by Flipboard. And Flipboard are incorporating Zite technology into Flipboard. Mm. And their intention, I think, is to sunset Zite eventually. Oh, okay. Um, which might be all right because they might mean that you just have a square <laughs> and Flipboard which does the same yeah. job. But I've, I've loved the simplicity mm. of Zite. Uh, Zite mm. does exactly what it should do. And the benefit of Zite is uh, that it's not predictable. On Twitter, you get a lot of the mm. same shares. The same article goes around and around. Yeah. But on site, it actually finds new stuff for mm. you. And that's what I like about it. I, um, nice. I, I, another couple of concrete tips. Um, one thing is to create a, um, a flipboard square, whatever you call it, um, from the hash UX um, hashtag. Because then anything that gets tweeted with that gets bundled into it. And yeah. It's kind of quite right. Um, but sometimes that's kind of, even then it's just the most shared things. Mm. Um, another idea, and one that I do, is now we're getting into my geeky side. Mm. Um, I've gone through my <laughs> my, um, my followers and followers um, and checked their, um, well, I've, I've searched their profiles, their, their bio um, info, and I've automatically then added them to a list if they mention UX. Then I've created a, a magazine from the articles that those people um, share. Ah. So they don't have so to tag it as hash UX. You're taking it one level more, yeah. Yeah, I've taken them as people and said, mm. okay, that profile is an interesting profile on Twitter. Mm. Here's, I now add it to a pile and mm. then monitor that pile for interesting tw- links yeah. and then produce a magazine from that. So you don't have to follow all the shit they say. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that? No, I love you all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a couple of things there then to kind of sum up what you said was that, you know, from experience, experience being a key word, uh, you learn to know what your favorite sources are, and then you start to filter out the rest. Mm. Again, using, ironically, experience as a keyword again, um, it's from experience that is the biggest learning uh, place, mm. you know, to, to become more and more competent as, as you go on within your UX career. Mm. But... Um, yeah, I think um, I think that it sums up for me definitely. Mm-hmm. And I have those filters as well. I have my Twitter list of seventy UX people. I have links that you know, maybe five or six that I look at, you know, and try to look at on a daily basis. Um, but when I think about it, you know, it is the the actual experience of working in a project and. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's room to do to do it, you you try something else. You try, okay, I'm going to try that mm. way or that method that yeah. so and so was talking about. Um, but like you, 
uh, like you said, Perry, you know, there's there are principles that that are really you know stay in place, like mm. basic principles, like there should be for you know a product that you're designing as well. You should have design principles that product sticks to. Mm. So principles of the UX way of working. Yeah, I like it. That's a good summary. I like that you summed it up for us. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good, good, good way of ending the segment. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks very much for um, yeah. for bringing in, James. Yeah, yeah. No, it was fun. Good to talk to you. Uh, I'll do it again next time. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot. Then. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Oh, the room is locked. Nice. Phone lines are closed. Bamboos has turned off. <laughs> Well, we had so many cables on this table today, so it's uh, I don't know which way is up. Well, we have so many microphones, so many cameras, and so many cables. Yeah. It's been it's been technically the most complicated UX mm. podcast we've ever done. And for those of you not aware, this was actually two hours of us talking. Obviously, you haven't just listened to two hours, but hopefully it, not. You've yeah. edited it. We have edited it to the calls that came in. But we've been actually been live on Bamboozer with a video feed, and you've been able the people. Some of us, some some people were watching us, uh, which was fun. Yeah, or not, which <laughs> meant we got, we got a really feeling for what it means to be a radio host, which we aren't quite yet. Mm. Uh, just keeping the topics and the conversation going is is really hard. Mm. But mm. I want to. We have to give uh, special thanks to um, those that we've talked to and have been on the show. Um, so thanks to Tim Wright, um, Heather Burns, Wedge Black, um, James Moore McConnell, and then of course special thanks um, to UserTesting.com, who uh, sponsored this episode of UX Podcast. Uh, visit UserTesting.com/UXPodcast to try Peak there. Um, user testing product for and free. It's a free usability test, yeah. Mm. Five minutes of video footage. Um, if you've um, enjoyed the show and this format in particular, then um, let us know. Tweet to us is one of the best mm -hmm. ways to get a hold of us. Um, or give us a review somewhere, iTunes, Stitcher. Um, we're UX podcast everywhere. Yeah, we are. Um, we have a US phone number that we don't, don't mention a lot. It's 646 783 1050. If you want to leave a voicemail there, that would be fun. But you can also leave a voicemail, but just recording your voice on your phone and emailing that clip to uxpodcast at uxpodcast.com. Ask us a question. Well, don't you? Or suggest a topic. Yes. By all means. We're off to um, have an, a drink to celebrate the successful recording of this show. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> oh, and a bite to eat, I hope. Yeah. And we've got uh, a couple of great episodes coming up to you. Um, Toward the end of the year. Mm -hmm. mm, some good guests, hopefully. And if you had been listening to the whole of us, you two know. hours of us talking, you'd know what those were. But And you can actually go back and listen to it, can you? Oh, no, we don't. Oh, don't go there. <laughs> we challenge you to find it. <laughs> See you again in two weeks. <laughs> Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.